May I take your order? Yes, I am going to have uh, three fingers of Glenlivet with a little bit of pepper and uh, some cheese. Very good. Uh, I'll take a Manhattan and kick the vermouth in the side with a pair of steel-toed boots. Certainly. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Wow. Quite a drink order. Oh, well, when in Rome. <laughs> yes. Please go on. Uh, do as, as the Romans do. It's, it's an old expression. <laughs> oh, I've never heard of it. Oh. It's wonderful, though. <laughs> Mr. Burgundy! Gino! <clears throat> Tempted as I am to just let that keep running all morning. <clears throat> so, um, you may have noticed <clears throat> that um, here in this part of the Bible, this part of Romans in particular, Paul is cheating. but he is quoting. In fact, he's doing a lot of quoting. He's quoting a lot of passages from the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Law, and the Prophets. And he has been doing a lot of that in this part of the text, and he is going to be doing even more. So we have this to look forward to over the spring, winter and spring, as we go through this Chapter end of chapter 10 and chapter 11 of Romans. And the reason that it is important for us to recognize this is that when Paul is quoting these passages, he is not simply treating the Old Testament like Bartlett's book of familiar quotations. He is not lifting a nice-sounding phrase out of context dropping it in the middle of his letter for effect. What he is doing when he quotes these passages from the Old Testament is he is evoking, he's calling to mind the entirety of what came before and after that verse that he is quoting. And so here again, In our passage today, we're going to go up through verse 17, not 15. We have Paul quoting from the Old Testament, specifically from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Paul says, how then can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Let's go back here to Isaiah, lest we find ourselves like Ron Burgundy hearing words and not understanding them in their context. Chapter 49 of Isaiah. You remember, may remember this a couple years ago during Advent. We went through Isaiah 48 to 53. So this is really just going to be a review. Starting in the beginning of chapter 49. Listen to me, you islands 
Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, Yahweh called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in Yahweh's hand, and my reward is with my God. So here we have the voice of the servant. These are the servant songs of Isaiah. There are four of them. This is the second one. And now Yahweh says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I'm honored in the eyes of Yahweh, and God has been my strength. He says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. A little strange what that says, isn't it? I mean, what do you say in verse 3? He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Right? So is the servant Israel? Kind of sounds like it. But then what he says in verse 5 and 6, he formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. Unless the speaker, like Bob Dole, is referring to himself in the third person, it seems that we have a shift somehow in the subject. For I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh, and my God has been my strength. As he says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. It's not just enough to restore a people to unity who had been divided hundreds of years before by civil war. It's not enough to bring a people back from exile to the land they had been promised, the land that they forfeited by their disobedience and rebellion. It's not enough to restore this people that God had called and chosen. Impressive as all that would be, that's not enough. I also will make you a light for the Gentiles that you bring that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what Yahweh says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of Yahweh who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now, this agenda for this servant is an ambitious one, isn't it? Beyond simply restoring the tribes of Jacob, bringing Israel back together, restoring them, he is called to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring God's salvation to the very ends of the earth. And the rabbis debated and debated and debated. Who is the suffering servant? Is this Israel? Some of them said, yes, this is Israel. Many others saw 
in this a reference to Messiah, the one that God would call and anoint as his servant to bring about not only the restoration of Israel, but the reconciliation of all of creation. Jumping ahead in chapter 50, we get the next one of these servant songs, starting in verse 4. The Lord Yahweh has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I didn't hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Lord Yahweh helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who's my accuser? Let him confront me. It's the Lord Yahweh who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They'll all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears Yahweh and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark who has no light trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. Now all you who light your own fires, who provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, go walk in the light of your own fires, of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you'll receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. You can light your own fires, or you can receive the light that God gives. Where, where have we heard this whole light-darkness thing before? People that walk in darkness have seen a great light. That's about, um, who's that about? About Jesus? Oh, it's about Jesus. Okay. Um, he hid not his face from shame and spitting. Um, that's also Jesus, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, there's a good reason why these servant songs, these songs of the suffering servant have been read by the church as coming in a sense as the voice of Jesus. It's interesting, just as I was reading this this week, this, this language of he who vindicates me is near, who will bring charges against me, Who's my accuser? Let him confront me. What, 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 is that, what does that bring to mind here in Romans? But that chap, that marvelous passage in chapter 8, right? Where Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies? Who's going to condemn? It's Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God. 
and is also interceding for us. So this servant who taunts those who would condemn, those who would accuse, is in fact the one who intercedes for us, taunting those who would accuse him, taunting those who would accuse his people. Yes, Jesus talks trash. And so, moving ahead to chapter 51 in Isaiah, and I know how sad you are that we have to skip over some of this, but just for the sake of time, we'll move ahead to chapter 51, verse 17, because we're going to roll up on what Paul is quoting here in this passage in Romans 10. Awake, awake! Rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of Yahweh the cup of his wrath, you who have drained its dregs, the goblet that makes men stagger. Of all the sons she bore, there was none to guide her. All the sons she reared, there was none to take her by the hand. The double calamities have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction, famine and sword, who can console you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street. Like antelope caught in a net, they're filled with the wrath of Yahweh and the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one made drunk, but not with wine. This is what the Lord Yahweh says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger from that cup, the goblet of my wrath. You will never drink again. I'll put it into the hands of your tormentors who said to you, fall prostrate that we may walk over you. You made your back like the ground, like a street to be walked over. This is a message of God to his people who have been defeated. They have been put to shame. They have been ruined. They have been sent into exile. They have, because of their unfaithfulness and rebellion, they have drunk the cup of God's wrath, and now God says, I am going to pass that down into the hands of of your tormentors. So awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what Yahweh says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the Lord Yahweh says, At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares Yahweh? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares Yahweh. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. My reputation, God says, is tied to my people. If they are put to shame, then that looks bad for me. Well, guess what? My people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When Yahweh returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For Yahweh has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. 
Yahweh will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This is good news to a people who have been oppressed, who have been defeated, who have been put to shame, who have been disgraced. God is going to restore them. And how is he going to restore them? He is going to restore them by utterly defeating their enemies. Including all those things that cause them to be their own enemies. God is going to bring his salvation to his people. And all the ends of the earth will see. God's people are not only going to be restored, they're going to be vindicated. They are going to be shown to be right in the eyes of all those who saw them as disgraced, who saw them as put to shame. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, proclaiming peace, good tidings, salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. It's God's reign, God's authority, power that brings about this peace this salvation nothing you can pull off on your own you're not going to light your own torches God says I'm the one who is going to make this happen and see my servant will act wisely he'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred by, beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who's believed our message, and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity.
iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was Yahweh's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though Yahweh makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of Yahweh will prosper in his hand. And after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is what Paul is evoking when he says, Who has believed our message? He is calling to mind that whole fourth song of the suffering servant. So when Paul says, Romans 10 verse 16 but not all the Israelites accepted that good news for Isaiah says Lord who has believed our message what message is this Paul says the message is the word about message about Christ, the hearing of that word, that gospel. And it may help you to make the connection if when you see Christ there in your New Testament, read Messiah, same word. Consequently, faith comes from hearing that message, that message through the word the story about this suffering servant who was numbered with the transgressors bearing the sin of many we talked last week about how when Paul earlier in chapter 10 says that whoever believes in him who trusts in him will never be put to shame he's evoking that story in Isaiah 28 about this inbreaking of the glorious day of Yahweh when he sets things right, when he defeats his enemies and vindicates his people. And then when he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he's evoking that story in Isaiah, and he's also evoking that story from Joel that Peter 
mentioned on the day of Pentecost. Here, I think, what we have is Paul connecting this message about this day of Yahweh, this great day where God is setting things right, breaking in. He's connecting that message to this suffering servant, to Messiah, to Jesus. And so it makes perfect sense that he can say so boldly that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Paul is not improvising. He is not making up something new here. He is situating his message, plugging it into this deep, deep history, this story of what God has been doing through his people, of what God promised that he would do. All saying, This is what all of that was leading to. This is what hundreds and hundreds of years ago Isaiah was writing about. No doubt baffled by this suffering servant that he was saying would be humiliated and despised. That's not the kind of hero you expect, cape or no cape. But that's how God did it. The question is, will you receive the news? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be people with ears to hear. I pray that we would not treat lightly this message that you've given us. But I pray that we would seek to know to understand intimately the full scope of this salvation that you bring about. I pray that we would give up to you those things that that war against us, those enemies that we harbor. We pray that you have victory over them in our lives. We pray that we would be your faithful people. In the name of the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray.